Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our conference breakdown series, and today we're going to look at the Atlantic 10. So today we're going to look at seven teams, St. Bonaventure, VCU, UMass, Davidson, Richmond, George Mason, and St. Louis. And then at the end of the episode, Jalen and I will choose our sleepers. So let's talk about St. Bonaventure, who seems like the surprise team at the top of the A-10 right now. Jalen, what has impressed you the most about St. Bonaventure so far? I mean, the main thing has to be the way they've been able to protect home court. I mean, they hands down have the best overall home record. I mean, it's in comparison to the main teams being VCU and St. Louis, who will either have one or two losses. St. Louis is 11-1 and one at home. VCU is 10-2 and two at home. But St. Bonaventure is eight no at home and that's I think that's been the main thing for the fact that they've played less games and uh than most teams in the conference I mean VCU is right behind them and they've played a good little handful more games than St. Bonaventure has but 11 and 3 in the conference that's the main thing that's important for St. Bonaventure overall and I mean like you said beforehand saying that they're the surprise team in the conference is probably an understatement because St. Louis and Richmond are two teams that we looked at pretty highly early on in the year we did a couple of um I think we did a few if not at least one um unsung hero episode where we included a a player from St. Louis and they were to a pretty hot start early on in the in the year and Richmond was a team that had put foots on Kentucky earlier on in the season as well so to see that St. Bonaventure is the one at the top right now I think like I said I think saying that they are overachieving this year is definitely an understatement considering the circumstances, but home court has to be the move in terms of what's really propelled them to this level. Yeah. This team has five double digit scorers, but this is one of the best defensive teams, not only in the conference, but in the country, ninth in the country in opponents points per game, eighth in the country in opponents field goal percentage per game. It's really because of Kyle Lofton. He's averaging close to 15 points a game and five assists along with a steal a game and he's shooting close to 45% from the field. He had a double-double against George Washington, and he has multiple games with two or more steals, including having five steals against St. Louis and four steals against Rhode Island. Another guy that's really impressed me is Jaron Nelson, who's averaging close to 15 points a game and close to six rebounds. He is shooting close to 45% from the field and from three, and he's been stepping up for this team in the last couple games. In the first game against Davidson, he put up 19 points and 11 rebounds on 58.3% shooting from the field. In the second game against Davidson, he had 16 points, 5 rebounds on 50% shooting from the field. And in their last game against George Washington, he put up 18 points and 5 rebounds on close to 54% shooting from the field. And then there's also other guys like Jalen Attaway, who's averaging close to 12 points and 6 rebounds, and he's shooting 55.5% from the field. He's been a solid scoring option for them. Dominic Welch is another guy who's averaging close to 12 points and six rebounds a game, and he's shooting over 40% from the field and from three. Another consistent three-point shooter for this team outside of Nelson. And then Asun Osuniyi is averaging 10 points a game, and he leads the team in, in rebounds, close to nine a game, and he leads the team in blocks with just over two a game. So there's a lot of talent for this team to make a run in the NCAA tournament. I mean, yeah, overall, I think the biggest thing that stands out, obviously, is the fact that this team shows up defensively. Ninth overall in points per game, 60.9 points allowed. They're top five in terms of opponents' free throw percentage. Obviously, they don't have any, you know, true impact on that. But they're, I mean, they're in the top 70, you know, overall in the country in terms of allowing free throw attempts. So that's one of the things that they're keeping teams away from the line and teams aren't converting. And then one of the other things that stood out to me really – more than anything, is that they're seventh in the country in opponents' field goal percentage at 38.9%. That's pretty huge considering the circumstance because this team is not very dynamic offensively. I don't think they're – I think outside of three-point percentage, I don't think they're top they're, – they're better than top five in anything offensively in terms of their conference. So with that being the case, 
they're a good three-point shooting team. They're basically the epitome of a three and D team. They're very good as an outside shooting team. Like I said beforehand, they lead the conference in three-point percentage at 38.3%. But outside of that, offensively, they don't have very much. So the fact that they're able to lean so heavily on their defense, guard the line, protect the paint, rebound at a high rate. And of course, they're holding, like I said, holding teams to under 60 while scoring 70 a game. That's a recipe for success. So I think that they're in a really good position as an overall 3-and-D team across the board. So moving on now to our next team in VCU. Jalen, who do you believe is the go-to guy on this VCU team? I mean, when it comes to VCU, it's kind of simple. I mean, when you look across the board, is Nishan Highland and then everybody else. I mean, he's leading the pack with 19.2 points per game, two assists, two steals, 4.4 rebounds. Next best person behind him is Vince Williams at 11.1 points per game, 5.2 rebounds. So that discrepancy between 19.2 and 11.1 is dang near double. So, I mean, when you talk about Nishan Highland, we're talking about a guy who's an offensive juggernaut. I think when you talk about how much he dominates the ball as an offensive threat, talking about his points per game might not even do it justice. If we go to his field goal attempts per game, he's averaging 14.2 attempts in comparison to Vince Williams, again, being the second best scorer on the team at 7.9. Again, we're talking about nearly double the attempts in terms of these guys going off on the, going off on the offensive side of the ball. So Highland, pretty much controls everything that this team does offensively, shooting 44% from the floor, 51.9% from two, which I think is huge, and then 38.1% on eight attempts, which is, again, quite literally the double, like double the amount that Vince Williams is taking. So, I mean, this the buck stops with Nashawn Highland in terms of the success of this team, and I think to a certain extent that kind of shows in terms of how this team is offensively, they're not really elite at anything besides free throw shooting in terms of their percentage. Other than that, they pretty much are in the bottom percentile in their in their conference in just about every other category. But I mean, defensively is where they come up first in steals, first in blocks, first in turnovers in terms of protecting the ball and first in personal fouls. So they're a team that doesn't foul. They play very solid defense. And they give Highland the ball and let him work. And clearly that's helping them because they're second in the conference right now with a really good chance to make some noise. Yeah, and the Sean Highland is a bucket getter, averaging 19 points a game, also has two steals a game, gets it done on the, gets it done on the defensive side, shooting 44% from the field, like you mentioned, 38% from three, shooting 88% from the line. He ranks in the top 30 in the NCAA in terms of free throw percentage. Only one game where he hasn't scored in the double digits, but he has been a player who has had some big games against conference opponents. 28 points in the win against Dayton, 23 points in the win against Rhode Island, 22 points in the win against St. Bonaventure, and then a double-double, 20 points and 12 rebounds against Richmond. So we know he's capable of helping them win these crucial conference games. I would also say Vince Williams is another guy who's been big for this team, not only in terms of points per game, but in terms of efficiency shooting over 42% from the field and from three. I think VCU could be another interesting team with the guard forward combination of Nashawn Highland and Vince Williams. Yeah, we're going to probably end up talking about a lot more dynamic guard duels in this conference, especially once we get to a team like Richmond later on. But I think for this grouping right here, I mean, those two guys are the lead guys. I think something that people need to keep an eye out on most of all is the fact that they lead the conference in steals with 8.7 steals per game. And they've got a couple of guys that are just, Cookie snatchers for sure. Obviously, Nashawn Highland, I already mentioned he averaged 2.0 um, steals per game. But Vince Williams, 1.1. Uh, Jameer Watkins, just under one. Adrian Baldwin off the bench um, is another guy who, I mean, uh, you could say he's off the bench. He's just somewhat of a rotational guy for them. But he has 2.2 steals per game. And then you've got a guy in Jimmy Clark who's definitely more of an energizer uh, bench guy defensively with 1.8 steals per game. So. A handful of guys with either about a steal per game. I mean, really, they range between either just under a steal per game all the way up to at least two steals per game. So, I mean, they've got a lot of guys who like to snatch the ball. And that, I mean, only makes sense that they're one of the better teams in terms of steals, not only in their conference, but they're sixth in the uh, they're fifth in the country um, in blocks and six in steals. So, I mean, overall, in terms of being a disruptive force on the team, it's practically contagious. So moving on now to our next team in UMass, Jalen, what do you believe stands out about UMass? 
So I think the weird thing about UMass goes down to what they've been able to do so far in the conference. They haven't really done anything too outlandish. We have to remember that this is one of the few teams I was talking about, um, you know, St. Bonaventure in terms of not playing nearly as many games as some of the other teams in the conference. You know, they're floating around 16. A lot of these other teams are floating around about 17, 19 you know, if you're VCU, more than that. And UMass is pretty much the only team that doesn't have, you know, double-digit wins in this top seven category. So seven and five overall, six and three in the conference, they've pretty much been battling their tails off in only conference play. So I think the biggest thing that touches on that I feel like is important is just the fact that they've at least been able to be 500 at home and on the road, four and three at home, three and two away. I think that's the biggest you know, recipe for success, so to speak, in terms of them being able to maintain their position. I mean, in a really weird year, it's really weird to see late this late in the year, this this close to the end of the season, that seven and five has you at third in the conference. But I mean, UMass has been able to do just enough percentage wise as um, as a team that's six and three in the conference to pretty much hang around. Um, overall, I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me when it comes to them is just their jump from last year. I mean, last year they were 14 and 17, eight, eight and 10 in the conference and they were eighth in the eight, 10. Now, I mean, of course, things are a little bit skewed when you don't play nearly as many games, but jumping from eight to third in the conference in a conference that is relatively competitive with a couple of teams towards the bottom that are having a bit of an off year. I mean, realistically speaking, UMass has pretty much outperformed themselves, even if you can say that it's in a short sample size. Yeah, I think UMass is a team that scores a lot of points in conference games. They're second in that category with 73.9 points per game. This team also makes it a habit to go to the line. First in the conference in free throws made and in free throw attempts. And overall, they're 10th in the country in terms of free throws made and 23rd in free throw attempts. So they want to draw fouls as frequently as possible. And it helps when your leading scorer is your center, Trey Mitchell. Averaging close to 19 points a game, seven rebounds, a steal, and a block a game. Early in the season, he had a 31-11 and double-double against Northeastern, and then he had a 37-point game against LaSalle. This is a guy who is their bucket getter down low and a player on the defensive side who attacks the glass. And I think his impact mirrors the impact of someone like Nemius Keita from Utah State, especially considering how Mitchell leads the team in points, rebounds, and blocks as well as being one of the most efficient shooters from the field at 50%, much like Nemius Keita. I think the other thing, too, is this is a little bit of a different team in terms of what we were talking about VCU. Um, because with VCU, we were talking about Nashawn Highland pretty much being the lead all for this team, averaging you know nearly 20 points per game. And we're talking about Trey Mitchell averaging nearly 19, but he's getting a lot more backup compared to what, uh, what Highland is getting in VCU. Call P- Carl Pierre with 13 points per game. Noah Fer- uh, Fernandez with 11 points per game. TJ Weeks with 10.3 points per game. Javon Garcia with 10.2. That's five guys in double digits with one of them averaging nearly 20 in the rest of them kind of backing it up with at least 10 to 13 points per game which I think is huge I think the other thing too is the fact that they're really strong in the rebounding department it's one of those things that in terms of conference play they're like middle of the pack sixth overall in the conference with 36.3 rebounds per game but I think that the fact that they have a handful of guys that can gang rebound is huge Mitchell has 7.1 Pierre has four. 4.0 Noah Fernandez has 4.7 weeks has 3.5 Garcia has 2.3 Ronnie DeGray off the bench with five rebounds and um Carol McCroy with 4.8 I mean they've got a gang of rebounders whether it's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench so I think that's huge another thing to touch on for them overall and I think it shows up with the fact that they have so many guys averaging double figures is the fact that they're second in the conference in assists 15.6 assists per game I think that's another one that's huge. That all kind of constitutes to the fact that they're the second best scoring team in the conference with 73.9 points per game. It just all kind of works itself together. They play together basketball. They rebound really relatively well, and they're sharing the ball in a way that's getting everybody touches. And I think the thing that might stand out the most is just the fact that they don't have like a dominant three-point shooter. I think you could argue that Javon Garcia and Ronnie DeGray off the bench, both shooting um, 
you know, north of 37% from three is good, but neither one of them are taking even at least three attempts. Even Trey Mitchell at your center position, like you mentioned beforehand, is taking at least three attempts and he's shooting a little bit worse at 35%. Carl Pierre is probably their lead guy in terms of stroking it from back there, 7.8 attempts, but he's only hitting 30.9% of them. So it's not really a great high volume take for this team. So I think the fact that they play together, but don't play outside of their strengths which is dominating in the paint as drivers and things of that of things of that nature i think that honestly this team is pretty scary as an overall roster when you look through their top seven guys and i think that's going to be really huge in terms of being able to play forward because you know deep teams can be kind of scary in the tournament too i know it comes down to your stars but just having big shot takers and guys who can spell good minutes when their stars are sitting on the bench for a breather i think it's going to be huge to be able to get those minutes coming off so moving on now to our next team in Davidson, and they have four double-digit scorers on this team. Jalen, do you think Davidson has a chance to possibly make the NCAA tournament? So I think that's rough. With the A-10, I don't see any circumstance where they'll be able to have more than three representatives overall. I think that that'll just be really tough with the fact that teams like, I mean, if we're going to talk about the WCC to close out our um, our series, but Teams like um, in that conference, teams, the Big Ten is going to dominate in terms of the amount of teams that they're going to have in the tournament. Obviously, the ACC is going to get a handful of teams in. North Carolina still floating with being able to be one of those last teams in as well. I think across the board, it's just going to be really difficult for them to be able to get more than three teams in. So Davis is going to have to make a serious play in the conference tournament to maybe help help, help with their ticket bid. But... They've got a couple of things that could work in their favor. I mean, at the top of the list is Kellen Grady with 16.8 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 2.2 assists. I think the big thing with him is just the fact that he shoots the three extremely well. This this grouping of Grady and Hyung um, Jing Lee shooting threes, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you can count Carter Collins in there as well. They're each shooting really, really good from out there with at least four four or more attempts. Collins is shooting 39.5% from three on 4.3 attempts. Uh, Hyun Jung Lee is shooting 43.6% from back, from back there on 5.3 attempts. And then Kellen Grady, 39.2% from back there with 6.8 attempts. So the fact that they shoot the three really well, I mean, I don't know if they're just trying to take after the late great Steph Curry alumni on this one, but they're definitely trying to add up as a full-blown three-point shooting team. And I think it also shows out in the fact that although they're not one of the better teams three-point shooting-wise in in their conference from a percentage standpoint, they are one of the most high-volume three-point shooting teams in their conference, third overall with 26.2 attempts. Um on a nightly basis. So I think that's one of those things that is pretty huge for them overall. I mean, the fact that they're 25th in the country in three point attempts just goes to tell you that they're a team that likes to hoist it up. So any team that can shoot threes at that kind of clip has a chance to play themselves into the tournament. I think they're just going to have to make a really big play considering the circumstances. I think for Davidson, it's going to be tough. I know they have the talent to make a run. You mentioned Kellen Grady. I'll talk about him a little bit more. He's He's been stepping up for them in these big conference games. 27 points in an overtime loss to Dayton. 21 points and seven rebounds in a win over St. Joseph. 24 points in a win against Fordham. He ends up having 22 points, six rebounds, and five assists against UMass. Another guy you mentioned, Young Jung Lee. He's been one of their most efficient shooters this season, not only from the field and from three, but also from the line. He's almost playing up 50, 40, and 90 this season, shooting 50% from the field, close to 44% from three, and shooting 90.5% from the line. You also mentioned Carter Collins, who's averaging 12 points a game, shooting 50% from the field, another great three-point shooter at 39.5% from three. He had 16 points and seven rebounds in the loss to uh, St. Bonaventure. And then Luka Brashkovich, a guy you didn't mention, Averaging 10 and 6 a game, I think he's become another scoring option for Davidson as of late. He put up 12 and 6 in the loss to St. Bonaventure. Also had a solid 15-point game against VCU in their last game. Davidson has some talent, but this seems like they could be a tournament team. I think it's going to be tough to do so. You did mention they, they probably need to win out in order to get a higher seed. I think if they have some great games in the tournament, I wouldn't be surprised if they were an 11 seed. 
I mean, they can definitely sneak in. I think an 11 seed is probably the best way to like phrase it. I think is they're definitely going to be a bottom two to three seed overall if they do come in. I think one of the biggest things that we have to talk about, though, Ryan, is just the fact that although they, they're so good offensively to a certain extent, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's there's certain things that just like gl- that are glaring. I mean, offensively, let's look at the fact that they're first overall in the conference in two point percentage, fifty eight point eight percent. So within the arc, they shoot they shoot the ball really well in comparison to, you know, being fifth in the conference at thirty three point seven percent from behind the arc. So they shoot really well within the mid range and active in the paint, despite the fact that they live behind a three point line as the third best team in terms of three point on three point attempts. But there's a couple of things that I think should really stand out. They're the worst fouling team in the conference 14th overall worst fouling team in the conference they're the worst free throw shooting team in free throw percentage and free throw attempts that i mean that's that's not good they're a team that basically is a turnstile on defense and then when they get their calls they don't convert those are two things that i think are going to be a really big big deficit uh detriment to them in terms of what they're able to do moving forward because i think one of the bigger things to touch on when we talk about the free throw percentage 61.7 percent and their best player is at this is at 61.8 i think the mere fact that their best player is not one of their better free throw shooters and outside of Hyun jung lee they don't really have any other truly reliable guys you could say that carter collins at 77.4 percent is up there but I mean, they don't have a single guy. Kellen Grady's the closest at 2.9, but they don't have a single guy that's averaging at least three free throw attempts, let alone somewhere between four and five, where most of the elite, the elite scorers in not only this conference, but across the country tend to float around that area. So the fact that they don't get free throw attempts that much and then they don't convert them. I mean, I don't know. This is a situation where in this conference, if you can't knock down free throws, you're going to be in a really tough spot. So I think overall, maybe they can make the tournament, but unless they get these free throws shirt up, they're going to be relying really heavily on the fact that they're going to need those three point shots to start falling a little bit more because they're hoisting them up, but they got to land because they're going to make up for They're going to need to make up for a lot of points. They're leaving on the table by not converting at the line. So moving on now to our next team in Richmond. And when we last talked about Richmond, they had just come off of a huge win over Kentucky, which was a huge upset at the time and helped this team get into the AP top 25. Jalen, what do you believe Richmond needs to do in order to make the NCAA tournament? I mean, considering where they're at, I mean, they have that Kentucky win at the top that makes things look a little good because of the fact that Kentucky has came on a bit stronger as of late, you know, they're pretty much kind of out of the tournament in terms of their qualification, just because they really haven't put anything together. I'm talking about Kentucky, but overall, just the fact that Kentucky has a a few very significant wins, that kind of stuff, when you look at Richmond's resume looks better in their favor. Now, again, I think it's going to be really hard for the 18 to get more than three teams in. I think four is pushing it, but not impossible. That's why I think that Davidson still does relatively have a chance. It's just going to be a really tough sell. But when we talk about Richmond, man, I think the biggest thing about them is the fact that this is a team that came in with a little bit of expectation. Honestly, last year was a really good year for them and they didn't get to show out the way we were probably, they probably would have liked to. And the way I think a lot of us would have liked to see, considering this was a really scary team last year, 24 and seven, 14 and four in the conference, second in the eight, a 10 overall. I think one of, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think one of the other things to touch on is just the fact that they are doing it, you know, in a really interesting way. Now, the fact that, you know, we live here in Maryland, we know all about the UMBC guys. So we know about the small guard lineups that they have. And this little grouping of Blake Francis and Jacob Gilliard is no joke. They came up big in that, in that Kentucky game earlier in the season. And honestly, they just continue to play at a really high level. Blake Francis is leading the way, leading the charge with 16.9 points per game, 2.4 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.5 steals. I'll come back to the steals in a minute because I think that that is that is their ticket. That is their ticket into the tournament. But he is also shooting 36% from three on 7.1 attempts, and he's shooting 43% from the field overall. 
I think that's huge because he's leading the way as their high volume score with 14.3 field goal attempts. The next closest guy is Grant Golden with 9.6. You could argue Jacob Gilliard as well, who also has 9.6. Speaking of Jacob Gilliard, he is somehow their second, arguably their first best guard on the team, yet he is their fifth leading scorer on the squad. 11.3 points per game, 2.8 rebounds per game, a team high 5.2 assists and 3.5 steals per game. He is the guy who literally led the country in steals um, last season. It actually was. And the dude is Muggsy Bogues. I mean, it's, it's literally, that's the best exp- explanation, the best kind of comparison I can use. Now, does that mean he can make it to a league level? I have my gripes. I do see him as a guy that would be a really interesting prospect, especially with the fact that we've been able to see guys like Carson Edwards, you know, relatively get some good playing time for the Boston Celtics in the league. Jacob Gilliard is a guy who's way better on defense than a guy like Carson Edwards is offensively. And I think that's really intriguing considering the fact that he is a guy who locks up really heavy on that side of the ball. Now, something that's really interesting to me overall, though, is the fact that they are first in the conference in points per game with 74 points, um, 0.1 points per game, first in free throw percentage, second in in three-point percentage, and third overall in field goal percentage. So this team locks up defensively and converts on the other end and turns it into big points. And honestly, that's the most intriguing part about the fact that they're only fifth in the conference is that they're so nice offensively and they have true level defenders. You can argue that, I mean, the fact that their team is so significantly small, Grant Golden is their tallest guy at 6'10". A lot of their 6'9 and taller guys don't really get a lot of playing time. So they're playing with a lot of guys that are 6'7". Gilliard is 5'9". Blake Francis is six foot. I mean, they're leaning on their small guys to do a lot of the dirty work and it's working out, but I'm seriously surprised that considering the circumstances, they are as low as they are. So I think they're going to be able to claw their way back in. I do think that this team has the capability of making the NCAA tournament. I said when they beat Kentucky, I said, watch out for Richmond, because this team is going to be just as good as they were the year before. And you mentioned a lot of their stats. First in the conference in points. Third in the conference in field goal percentage. Second in the conference in three-point percentage. First in the conference in free throw percentage. They're also second in the conference in steals per game, but this team is competitive. If you look at their losses this year, four of them have come within seven points. But just now to talk about the players, Blake Francis is a bucket getter. Only one single digit game this season, and he stepped up for them in the past two games. Put up 20 points and five rebounds against UMass, 24 points against St. Louis. Grant Golden has improved in his college career shooting the ball efficiently. He went from shooting 52% from the field last season to 57% this season, 26% from three last season to 50% from three this season. I would say two other guys that stepped up are Nathan Kao and Tyler Burton, who are two other double-digit scorers who are also efficient shooters from the field. They also shoot the ball well from three. Jacob Gilliard, this is the guy that you mentioned earlier. I want to talk about him more. He stands out the most on this team. Because he's not the most efficient shooter on the field or from the field or from three. But this is a guy who gets it done on defense. He leads the entire NCAA in steals per game with three and a half a game. And I think he compliments Blake Francis well in the backcourt. Jalen, this is not a team that will win in the paint. This is a team that wins their games in the mid range, they win their games at the perimeter and shooting the ball efficiently in those areas. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to touch on is just the mere fact that I think if we're going to talk about X factors for this team, watch out for Nathan K.O. I think that's the dude that everybody needs to kind of keep their eyes on overall. 55%, 55 55.8% from the floor, the second best on his team in terms of the lead guys who garner most of the offensive responsibility, those top five guys that we mentioned beforehand. I think another thing to touch on with him is just the fact that Between him and Tyler Burton, those are the two main guys that I look to in terms of rebounding. I know Grant Golden um, has 6.2 rebounds next to Tyler Burton, 7.5. So those are the two lead guys. But I think Nathan Ko is the guy with a significant upside. I think the fact that 
he is in a position right now to be somewhat of an X factor for them overall. I think he's a guy who has came up big in a good little handful of games that have showed you what he can be for this team. And I think with their little guards playing the way they are, those big guys through the middle, and it's weird to call them big guys because they, I mean, outside of Grant Gold, these are, these other two guys are six seven, but their forward duo and Tyler, Tyler uh, Burton and Nathan K.O., I think they're going to have to come up huge because in the tournament, I mean, we tend to see that guard play thrives, but I think these these wing guys are going to start really starting to, you know, submit themselves as high-level commodities. I mean, they already are in the NBA, but when we look at the, them from a scoring standpoint, I just think that they're going to be two guys that are going to have to continue to step up. And, I mean, they're already in a really good position, both averaging 12.1 points per game apiece, which I think is huge. So look out for those two guys. I know their guards are scary, but their forwards are a little dangerous too. Moving on now to our next team in George Mason, who closed out the season on a four-game winning streak. Jalen, what has stood out to you from this four-game winning streak? I think the main thing about the four-game winning streak is how they did it. Put foots on Fordham, 77-45, closed out a very, very, very close game against VCU, 79-76. Uh, I think that is extremely important in terms of being able to be a legitimate threat as one of the, the I guess, middle-of-the-pack teams in the A-10, being able to go toe-to-toe with VCU and close the deal. That is huge. I think beating George Washington 63-58 in its own way is kind of important because that's one of those lit-down games where after you have a significant high of beating a team like VCU, you could come out and wet the bed against a team like George, uh, George Washington further down the line in terms of a team that's in your standings. I mean, we're talking about a George Washington team that is, you know, bottom four in the conference. And that's an easy game to let go when you just beat a team that's literally second in your conference, not even a couple of nights before. And then beating LaSalle. I think that's huge as well because, again, you're finishing out the year strong. LaSalle is one of those teams, bottom four in the conference as well with George, uh, George Washington. I think with that being the fact, Looking across the board, they closed the deal out. And I think one of the big things that's important for them is the fact that closing games is just one of those things that they're going to have to get good at doing if they want to be able to make a chance at this tournament. Because now we're in that part of the conference where in order for you to punch your ticket, it's going to come down to how you play in the conference tournament. Conference play, we're past that. In terms of being able to get any out-of-conference Ws, we're past that. Your ability to win games, finish games, I think that's all going to be important. And see, my thing when we look at George Mason overall, let's look at their stand. Let's look at where they stand in the standings: eight and six in conference play, twelve and eight overall, seven and three at home, three and four in the on the road. I want people to understand how important road play is, even in this year. I know that the whole thing about no fans or a little bit of fans is is something that makes people not really worried about home and away records but you have to understand that when we're talking about certain conference tournaments or really most conference tournaments they're all neutral site games so you almost have to factor away games in a similar way that you would factor neutral site games when we're talking about these circumstances so the the fact that they're three and four away from home is something that really kind of stands out to me because they're seven and three at, at their stadium. So I think it's important to show the dynamic between how they feel comfortable within their own court versus playing on the road. That comfortability level is something they're going to have to get over if they're going to make a run in the conference tournament. Because like I said before, it's their only ticket in. It's their only ticket in. And I think it's going to be really hard to snag it away from anybody, let alone say Bonaventure and VCU at the top. Yeah, George Mason has a lot of momentum going into the conference tournament. In three of the four games that you mentioned, they've held their opponents to under 60 points a game, just looking at each game individually. Against Fordham, they shoot 50% from the field and 52% from three. They hold Fordham to 31.5% shooting from the field and 21% from three. They also had 10 steals in that game, and Javon Green had three of them. Against VCU, they shoot 45% from the field. VCU also shoots 45% as well. They hold VCU to 29% shooting from three, but they also out-rebound VCU 42 to 26, and they grab 15 offensive rebounds compared to VCU's three. Against George Washington, they don't shoot the ball particularly well in that game. 
as a team, but they out-rebound George Washington 45 to 35. They grabbed 23 offensive rebounds in that game compared to George Washington's four, and they also forced 13 turnovers in that game. And then against LaSalle to close it out. They shoot over 50% from the field and from three. They hold LaSalle to 37.8% from the field and 22.7% from three, and they forced 15 turnovers in that game. Let's look at it from the bigger picture. Overall, they've won games where they've shot the ball well, They've won games where they played good defensive force turnovers, and they've also won some games by attacking the glass on the offensive end. Jalen, this team has momentum. It is now about how you carry that momentum over into the conference tournament. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this team pulls off a 2006 George Mason run and just goes all the way off to the Elite Eight. I mean, it's I mean, it's definitely there, Ryan. I think it's tough, though. I think it's tough to say that they're going to go on that kind of run just because with this team, they're fighting from so much further back. You know what I mean? I mean, we I know what run you're referring to. And I mean, that's one of those deeper conference runs where they they caught a lot of bodies on the way, by the way. Um, I wish I could detail them. all. I just don't have them all pulled up at the moment. But. I mean, they've got the guys, I mean. Four guys averaging double figures with Jordan Miller, Javon Green, Tyler Kolek, Josh Odero. A.J. Wilson's right behind them at 8.2 points, uh, points per game. They got a gang of rebounders. Miller with 5.9, Javon Green with 5, Kolek with 3.6. Josh Odero leads the team with 6.1. A.J. Wilson with 5.1. Oh, man. I, I, think, I think they I, – I know where you're coming from. Here's my – only gripe it's 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 a it's a nitpicky one maybe but it's one of those that does kind of concern me and i mentioned this earlier with um with one of the earlier teams that we discussed i actually believe that it might have been um it might have been davidson that was the team that i was referring to but the free throw shooting man eighth in the free throws through free throw attempts in the conference 65 percent 65.8% 65.8% from the free throw line. I know it's nitpicky, but between that and being 13th in the conference with 47% from two, the fact that they, I mean, they barely shoot 35% from three. They barely shoot 35% from three. They're one of the bottom half teams in the conference. They're second to last, basically, in two-point attempts, despite attempting so many of them. And then in terms of free throw percentage, they're not even getting to the line that much and converting. I don't know. They're a team that puts up a lot of shots. They lead the conference in field goal attempts with 60.3, uh, 62.3 field goal attempts. So they 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 put up the shots, Ryan. The thing is that a lot of them don't fall down. And I think that contributes. It, it's weird. They, a lot of them don't fall, yet they're third in the conference in terms of scoring. It's like the weirdest dynamic ever. And that's one of the things that makes you feel like they're so they're so bipolar as a team in terms of their ebbs and flows that although they get up shots heavy their their live and die ratio is like a night-to-night guessing game and that's one of those things that I think is really really dangerous but like you said before and they definitely have the squad to do it they have the scores to do it I don't know, man. It's going to be a tough run, though. I think those guys at the top are just going to be really hard to bang out unless you can get past them early in, this, early in the conference tournament. It's the only way. Moving on now to our last team in St. Louis. And I touched on this team in a prior episode because I think that this team has a great chance of being a team that could make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Jalen, what do you believe St. Louis has to do in order to make some noise in the NCAA tournament? Man, I mean, again, it's one of those things where they're going to have to play up first. I mean, being seventh in the conference with the teams that they have ahead of them, if you thought my confidence level that three teams will get in was was low, four teams is lower, and getting all the way down to seven is just sure on punching your ticket home. I mean, here's a couple of things that work in their favor, though. I will say this much. There's a couple of things that add up. The first thing is their early season win over LSU. I think that is going to be a win for St. Louis that sticks with them throughout this entire time frame. I think another one that sticks out is NC State. I know NC State is not great, but when you play non-conference competition, you have to take advantage of that. And they were coming off of a big win over Indiana State and then um, 
and then Central um, Arizona. So, I mean, with that being the case, I think we're talking about a circumstance where, you know, they've got a couple of things that are working in their favor. Even some of their losses are relatively interesting. Minnesota beat them 90 to 82, really close game that works in their favor. They did beat St. Bonaventure um, earlier um, last month, 70 to 59. That works in their favor. They had a very, very, very close loss, 67 to 65 to VCU, literally last week. I mean, and then, of course, beating Richmond. I think those are all things that are conducive of them not only looking like a legitimate threat, right? But then if they can actually make a run in the tournament, they have a couple of wins or close losses that should make teams in the tournament, not only their conference tournament, but also if they're able to get to the NCAA tournament, fear them a little bit because LSU has been a relatively nice team overall from a scoring standpoint in the SEC. VCU is at the top of their conference. St. Bonaventure is at the top of their conference. So if they can hang with their conference play and they can hang with SEC competition, who's going to send what? Five, six teams to the conference possibly? I mean, to the um to the NCAA tournament possibly? I mean, with that being the case, I, I mean, I don't see why the Billikens can't be a dangerous team, but they got to get into the tournament first. And I don't know how they're going to do that unless they make a really scary run. But they've got the wins to show you that they have the capability of doing so. This is tough, Jalen, because we just need seven teams that all have the capability of making the, the NCAA tournament. But the reality is that three or four get in. I think it's going to be very tough for St. Louis to get in. Now, at one point, St. Louis was ranked in the season, and I highlighted it. I think we were doing the reactions to the AP conference break or the AP poll breakdown. I was hoping St. Louis would finally get in because St. Louis was a, is a very talented team. They have Javante Perkins, who I mentioned was a certified bucket getter, averaging close to 17 points a game, shooting 46.5% from the field, 42% from three, only one game this season where he has a single-digit scoring game. And he had 15 points and seven rebounds in the game against Richmond, which was a huge conference win. They also have a double-double machine in Jordan Goodwin, averaging a double-double, close to 15 points and 10 rebounds and close to two steals a game. He actually ranks in the top 20 in terms of rebounds per game in the NCAA. Goodwin has four double-doubles in the last six games, 17 and 11 against Rhode Island, 12 and 10 against Fordham, 16 and 15 against LaSalle. 16 and 12 against BCU. I think overall, this team has a great chance of making it. I think it's, again, it's going to come down to their performance in the conference tournament. Yeah. I think another thing that should be touched on really quickly too, is the fact that if we're going to be real, let's look like, I know that really the reason why they're seventh in the conference has to do with their conference play. They're five and four completely understand, but Let's be realistic about the capabilities of this team. This is arguably one of the better teams in the conference next to Richmond and obviously St. Bonaventure and VCU towards the top of the conference. St. Louis is technically the most talented team overall in this conference and really has one of the better resumes in the conference. St. Bonaventure is 13 and three. St. Louis is 12 and five. St. Bonaventure is, St. Bonaventure is eight and zero at home. VCU is 10 and two at home. St. Louis is 11 and one at home. Like let's, let's, let's be realistic about what this team actually is from a, from a capability standpoint. The biggest thing that's knocking them down is let's look at some of the worst teams in the conference, right? GW one and five on the road, LaSalle three and 11 on the road, St. Joseph's zero and nine on the road, Fordham zero and six. St. Louis is right there with that group of the group of teams at one and four on the road as one of those teams that has not only a negative record and not including LaSalle, three of those four bottom tier teams all have one or less wins on the road. That's the biggest thing that's hurting. That's the biggest thing that's hurting St. Louis. Honestly, the Billikens are just being hurt by the fact that they haven't produced relatively well on the road. Because if you tell me this is a, if you tell me this is if this is a if, if this is a two and three team, a two and three team on the on the road, I think they're further up the line. If you tell me they're a three and two team, they're further up the line. Even if they were 12 and 0 at home, 
I think, and truly were undefeated at home the same way St. Bonaventure is. I think they look significantly different on the standings by just one one extra win, whether it be at home or on the road. I think that one more win would have, one of these games would have easily changed their fortune. And you know what's funny about it? That game could have been the one against VCU last week. That's the one, the one that they lost by two. That's the one that stands out to me the most because when you look down the line, they've gotten everything else just about handled. I mean, you could say that losing to Dayton earlier on in the year, late in January is one of those that probably sticks out, but they were coming off a hiatus where when they played Dayton, they hadn't played since December 23rd before that. So that's that's arguably understandable um, from an overall production standpoint. Also, you could argue that Dayton just kind of has a number because Dayton beat them again 76 to 53, you know, not even a couple of weeks ago. I think that VCU game, that's going to be one of those seasons, the one of those games this season that when they look back on things in the offseason, they're going to kick themselves in the foot for that, kick themselves for that one because of the fact that that was a close loss that really could be the difference between them being what seventh in the conference versus being somewhere between third and fourth and Ryan that's what we've been discussing this whole time is three to four teams out of the A-10 sneaking not sneaking in but walking into the NCAA tournament with a legit chance to make some noise and unfortunately that one loss could be enough to hold them back if they don't make some further noise come tournament time but they've got a game against UMass today that we're recording this March 1st Maybe that can help propel them if some of the other teams kind of fall down. But overall, I think that that VCU game is going to be the one that they really start kicking themselves for. So moving on now to our sleeper, Jalen, who is the sleeper in the Atlantic 10? Oh, I just said them. I said their name at least three times and uh, when describing St. Louis. It's Dayton, man. I mean, Dayton's really the next team up, not just because their record, obviously. I mean, that's the one that really helps them considering the circumstances, but they're the team that they're the team that looks scary. They're the team that's gotten a couple of dubs. Now, I'll say that losing to St. Joseph's last week was like <laughs> not a good way for me to kind of lead this whole thing off in, time, in terms of trying to argue them as a legitimate team. They've also had a, a pretty struggling last couple of games. I mean, Overall, we're looking at a team that hasn't been very consistent. I mean, after beating St. Louis on the 26th, right, they beat Rhode Island big, lose to Duquesne in a close game, beat George Mason, and then you lose to VCU. That's understandable. You lose to Rhode Island in a close two-point loss. That that's that's a big that's a bit of a blow. I got to be honest. And then, you know, in terms of being St. Louis again, I think they just oddly have St. Louis's number, which is going to be something interesting to keep in mind when the conference tournament comes around from a psyche standpoint, just because St. Louis is definitely the better team. But Dayton seems to have their number. So I think we should keep an eye on that. And then losing to St. Joseph just doesn't make sense, dude. Like, let's let's be honest. You lost to the second the second worst team in your conference to practically close out the year i mean the only game they have left is today against saint bonaventure and i gotta be honest it's not looking too good because saint bonaventure has to close the door in this game in order to make sure that vcu doesn't take their top spot so best believe saint bonaventure is going to come out swinging and i don't think dayton's ready for it but the fact that dayton has been able to overcome St. Louis, and St. Louis is arguably arguably the more talented team, not only against Dayton, but against the rest of the conference. That sticks out like a sore thumb for me in terms of where Dayton stands amongst the rest of the conference as a potential sleeper in the conference tournament who could catch a couple bodies. So I feel like in order for this team to get the win today at St. Bonaventure, it's going to have to come down to the play of Jalen Crutcher. Crutcher's averaging close to 19 points a game, shooting 48% from the field. Also is averaging close to five assists a game. He has 4.9 on the season. And he's been the guy who has stepped up for them this season. He's been their go-to guy. Looking at the last couple of games, I know he hasn't been shooting the ball particularly well in the last three games, but he's a guy who was able to get to the line and shoot efficiently. 
he had 22 points in the double overtime loss to Rhode Island. He went eight for 11 from the line in that game. He had 19 points, five rebounds, six assists, and two steals in the win against St. Louis. He went 10 of 11 from the line in that game. And then 17 points, six rebounds, and four assists. Only went to the line four times, made three of them. He's a guy who was able to draw fouls for this team, also make shots efficiently from the line. I would say another guy that steps up for them is Watson. I say E.B. Watson, you know, another senior guard for this team, averaging close to 16 points a game and four rebounds, shooting close to 47% from the field. He's been another guy for this Dayton team that stepped up. Looking at the last five games, 20 points and five rebounds against George Mason, 20 points and four rebounds against VCU. 16 points and six rebounds against Rhode Island, 14 points and six rebounds against St. Louis, 16 points, five rebounds, four assists, a block and a steal against St. Joseph. So I think it really just comes down to that two guard lineup of Crutcher and Watson, but these losses to St. Joseph, the loss to Rhode Island, the loss to Duquesne, the loss to Fordham, the loss to LaSalle, those losses might be the reason why they may not get into the tournament. Yeah. I mean, overall Dayton is just not the same team. I mean, you know, this is a team that played a lot through Obi Toppin last year. Obi Toppin controlled everything for this team in a way that you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really think out of the fact that if you just kind of watched Obi from from a distance if you just watched him from a highlight package standpoint you would feel that he was just simply a driver dunker and very hard cutter and he provided a lot more for them than that he he was a guy who was a very good corner three uh corner three shooter for them he was a guy who was a very good facilitator out of the drives for him for that team and he was a guy that overall attracted a lot of gravity for this team in terms of opposing defenses trying to be able to hold up. So I think with all of those things in mind, Dayton is just in a completely different position because they don't have an NBA level talent on their team, which is something they're not very used to as it is. So I'm not going to say that last year was an outlier for them by any stretch, but I do have to believe that Obi Toppin had a lot to do with Dayton being the kind of team that they were last year. I mean, he's pretty much dominant. He's the dominant reason of why they who why they were who they were last year. So I think that's just a hard adjustment, but they're still a good team. 12 and 8 overall, 8 and 7 in the conference. They've got a couple of things to hang their hat on. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which Atlantic 10 team do you believe could be a lock for the NCAA tournament? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast, of course. Make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.